This podcast contains explicit content. Listener's discretion is advised. POV by Lustery explores culture, politics, and creativity in the sex industry, one point of view at a time. I'm your host, Aria Vega. Lustery couple Sif and Clint met online in the early 2010s. Now based in Vancouver, they've been co-content creators for most of their relationship, Tumblr was their original platform of choice before its infamous porn ban in 2018. Tumblr was a very lucrative platform for us in the early days of our sex work journey and sex work career. It's where we met a lot of our early connections. It's where we had a lot of freedom to experiment with the kinds of content that we were making and generally always find a pretty reliable audience there. And then there was so much of our community that we had kind of amassed over the years. I mean, like, Shit, I've been on Tumblr since like 20, like 2007, 2008. Um, So like the vast majority of the connections that I had made was before my time, before our time in sex work. So it was this kind of interesting dynamic between your personal blog formula and method of engagement, and then also trying to make it a marketable sex work platform. And while it was lucrative, and while I do think that the purge and just the overall way that it kind of went down was absolute garbage, as everyone else does, we found a way to utilize that as an opportunity to start from the ground up with a kind of isolated, branded sex work identity on another platform. I think it started for both of us, like not necessarily as a means of like financial gain or anything like that, but mostly as a means of just expression. And I think that in the Tumblr era of sexuality, I don't think that that's necessarily uncommon for a lot of folks that are now in sex work as more of a, you know, a career or semi-career to have started as like a means of like, hey, like, embracing sexuality a little bit more publicly and showcasing the beauty that is sexuality. And especially if you are in a situation in which you're making content with partners and stuff like that, like that becomes a, an element of your kind of partnership identity and your personal identity and sexual identity. And that's largely where I think that we both started. Um, Cause I know we didn't monetize it out of the gate. No. And also I earlier when I was 18, I was a suicide girl hopeful. Um, So I've been naked on the Internet since I turned 18. Yeah. When I first started out suicide girls, I didn't really think of like doing porn. I just kind of like look at it as feeling liberating to be just naked on the Internet and see it as almost like an art form. And in between then, like I like occasionally do like uh, artistic nude shoot with photographers. Still never really dabbled to sex work. Not until like around like Tumblr time where I start posting like nudes on it. And then people like more openly talking about like sex work and sex positivity. That's when I start thinking like, hey, maybe I, I should, you know, start doing sex work. But my partner at that time was pretty against it. So I didn't really dabble into it until I start having relationship with Clint, which we both, you know, just kind of like have the same interests of like doing sex work. And from then we just decide to start doing it. Yeah, I think that it started with just acknowledging that like, hey, like I'm, I'm a very sexual person. That's an intrinsic part of my identity and never really had the the platform or the confidence or, you know, the the support to kind of engage with that in a public kind of like setting or in a space that really allowed for it. 
But there is something that was really, really nice about having those early platforms prior to making it work that just like, hey, I feel really sexy with my partner. I really like creating stuff that just makes me feel connected to and makes me feel hot and just makes me feel like this is just a really cool part of the human experience. And I want to kind of capture that and share it. And having that ability to do so in the environment that we did early on, I think was intrinsic to allowing us to create almost like a healthy relationship with sex work kind of moving forward from that. Tumblr is also where Sif and Clint first met. Back when Clint was a bored single guy in a rural town, he was surfing through keyword tags one night when he happened upon a photo of Sif. He was immediately enchanted and became a regular presence in their replies. I think like after he followed me, he liked most of like my personal posts. Like there's a thing called Titty Tuesday where everybody, oh, yeah, yeah, everybody just posts like their like topless photo. Uh, so like, yes, yeah, so, like sometimes like he will like my stuff and he will like also like making like silly comments under like a post of me. Um, there's one of just me was complaining of like how hot like summer is. And then he commented, it's like, oh, fingers crossed, hope for early falls. Those kind of like little wholesome, silly. Listen, I was trying to be romantic. I was trying to be, I was trying to be cute. Um, now it's become like what almost seven years into marriage. It's still the moment of Tumblr engagement that we always reference back to. Wow. So you've been married for seven years. How long was your relationship long distance? It's kind of like interesting because we talk to each other for three or four months and then both of us were in like a relationship at that time with like other people. And we just kind of like, both of us just kind of going through something. So we kind of broke it off uh, after three months. And we haven't talked to each other for like, I think almost a year. It was about a year or so in between. Yeah. And then one day I just go on his Tumblr to check to see how he's doing. And then notice that like he moved to Orlando, Florida and kind of like start out like a next journey of his life so i decide to reach out to him say hey are you still interested in me do you want to like start talking again because both of us yeah it just ended our relationship uh with other people shortly after we disconnect from each other Mm -hmm. so yeah i'm kind of thankful that like he decided to uh, still interested in me and still willing to reconnect it with me and then we just talk uh through texting for another like half a year or so. And then around May in 2015, I decided to uh, take the chance and fly down to Florida from Toronto. That's where I used to live just to visit him. Yeah. You were pretty much just like, Hey, guess what? I'm coming to see you. Um, and I was just like, Oh, okay, cool. Um, <laughs> it was, it was a, definitely like a, like a moment of spontaneity, but obviously a very beneficial one because here we are. Had either of you ever taken such a big risk in love like that before? Like, it feels really risky to decide that you are going to let yourself fall for someone who is far, who's really far. I grew up in rural Arkansas, in which most of my engagement socially, romantically, family-wise, like, it all existed within maybe 
10 miles, 10, 15 miles of just kind of where I was because I didn't have access to anything that required distance to kind of pursue. Um, the internet opened a lot of the doors, hence, you know, social media and the ability to make these and build these connections with for folks that were further away than like what my bubble would have normally been. But it wasn't until I got out of Dodge and left the kind of like Arkansas, Missouri um, area and just kind of started being a little bit more risky with my personal decisions um, and how I was kind of living for myself, aka moving across the country to Florida as like a soft reset for my own kind of journey, that it became a lot more easy to take these other risks in, um, as you as you put it, and really kind of like open myself up to things that normally would have been unfathomable for me prior. What about you? I never like took a risk that far before. I think I started using social media like MySpace since I was 10 or 11. There's this like website called Vampire Freaks where all the goths and like emo kids and like punks, like almost like the MySpace for them. Classic. Uh, I started using it when I was like 10 or 11 and posting pictures of me and talking like strangers online since I was really young because I, uh, growing up, like my interests and stuff never really aligned to my traditional conservative like bring up but yeah Clint is the first person that I'm willing to like travel across the country to see him in person like when I told that to my friend all my friends were freaking out we're like oh you have to take a picture of like where you landed like where's his place like tell me everything which those are good friends but like (laughs) let's lay it out there like this (laughs) contextually um hi I'm I'm flying to a different country to meet this person that I've never met and have only known for mere months yeah, that's that's right. Like they make documentaries about stories that start like that. exactly, you know? exactly. Yeah. There are many, there are many podcasts right now talking yeah. about the bad things that happened during those engagements. I just ended up being friendly, and it's okay. <laughs> Tell me about the hardest part of the time that you spent separated once your relationship had become official. So we were quick. And pretty much everything that we did in the early days, I think we played like visit juggling in which they'd come see me and then I'd fly up to see them. They'd come back down. And it was every few months, only for maybe six months or so. So from essentially when they first flew down to visit, um, which was like May, June or so, we were married in October. It was quick. Like the turnaround on that was wild. Now, where we kind of were a little bit strategic with our marriage is that I flew up to get married in Toronto because I wanted to move up to Canada rather than them move down because Florida is a... It's Florida. Not a dope place to live, especially especially Orlando. Like, I was like, I, I don't like the heat. My, like, travel-hungry self was like, I want to come up to Toronto because that's an actual city and not a Disney-owned city like Orlando. So what we did is we're like, hey, if I come up to get married in Toronto, we can file for a like a sponsorship uh, permanent residency. So I moved up. We got married. The plan was I went back down to Florida after getting married for another few months and then move up permanently in January to wait for my permanent residency to come through. The reason why we did that is because if you file for a certain kind of permanent residency at the time, you could then receive a universal work permit that allowed me to start working and earning income while we were waiting for that residency to come through. So that was financially the better decision. And I don't think that that was offered coming back down to the States anyway. But that led to a period of time in which we were married, but still living in different countries for 
almost three months, which grand scheme of things wasn't a long time. But when you're kind of like in the moment and your emotions are pretty much as high as they're going to get, three months was years and years and years of emotional time, right? I mean, we were both just kind of trudging through work. I was working at a grocery store and a clothing store, and it was just everything was bleeding together. And we're just kind of counting the minutes until I could come up and we could kind of start that new chapter together. Until I was up there, it was just kind of like a like an idea and it wasn't tangible. So that was a difficult waiting period for sure. And when you got up there, did you two move in together right away? Yeah, uh, we did. I was living with like, it was crazy. I, I was living with like five other people in a house. So, Downtown Toronto roommate situations. Yeah. I lived in New York City. I'm familiar. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So he immediately moved in with me. And then uh, our house is super run down and always have plumbing issues and stuff like that. It, the plumbing is so bad that it's like two days like we couldn't showers and we have to baby wipe each other on the bed. <laughs> I'm not above admitting that. We were clean. That's all that matters. We made it intimate. It was lovely. But I I think that was kind of an interesting period because we were essentially sharing a bedroom as a married couple in a house with like five other people. And I mean, like living situations are living situations. You got to do what you got to do to keep a roof over your head. But we were also kind of like, but we want to start new phase of life. So really, we kind of really put our nose to the grindstone and we're like, well, like, how do we kind of like carve out a space that is a little bit more our own. And I mean, that was probably the initial two to three months of living there. It was like figuring out kind of like what our first step as a couple would be. Yeah. And there was a lot of adjusting to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, an international move is no joke, even without the, you know, relationship adjustment stuff. There's a lot of logistics happening. Mm -hmm. When did things finally start to feel cozy and calm? I throughout like um, the past, like, two, three years uh, of him moving up to Toronto. Unfortunately, we need to live with roommates because the housing market is just pretty messed up. We didn't really have our own space and cozy vibe until we moved to Vancouver in 2018, where we just kind of like, things get super serious. It's like, hey, we need to actually take care of ourselves or start a new chapter of our life as more like a married couple. And we chose Vancouver because of like, we see the potential of us like thriving and being able to take care of our mental health. So it it was like another big step in our life. We basically try to sell as much of our like belongings as possible, try to make as much as money as possible in like three months. Between both of us, we share six suitcases and then just flew all the way to the west coast and just start a new beginning and i think that's the moment that we're like okay this is our life now we have no roommates it's just both of us now we can actually thrive together i think that that is that's a really good way of putting it toronto was really kind of defined by our just need to survive toronto Lots of wonderful things going on in that city. There's a lot of culture. There's a lot of just constant stimulation there. But just where we were while while we were there was just a time spent, you know, as I mentioned before, keeping a roof over our head, staying fed, making sure that we were getting by. Um, But we never really had a what we felt like as a foundation because we were moving every maximum a year and a half, minimum like every six months. Um, And it just we we never had the ability to kind of settle ourselves 
and really have that space to kind of build from the ground up as our own and kind of make a home anywhere. And that was something that was really important to us early on was finding a place and an opportunity to kind of like build a partner space and make sure that where we were was indicative and representative of each of us and was a place that we could grow and thrive and work and be comfortable and all of those things that go into life. And we just couldn't really carve that out in Toronto at the time, which did inspire that move out West. And as Sif mentioned, we packed essentially what we could fit on a plane, flew out here. We got really, really fortunate with the first apartment that we viewed, and we've been here ever since. But in doing so, the speed at which life has moved has slowed down a a little bit. Um, It's allowed for a little bit more comfort. It's allowed for us to kind of pursue different elements of ourselves, of our relationships, of our personal lives as well. And I agree. I think that that's really where we kind of caught our stride as like a couple, but also like individually. That's where we've both been able to kind of individually grow kind of with each other the most and kind of support each other along that as well. The more I hear you tell this story, you know, the the more inspired I feel by how you were able to build the bonds of your relationship amidst a lot of upheaval, whether it being physically uprooted, you know, the emotional tumult of exiting other relationships and living across a border from each other. And a lot of people wouldn't have ridden it out to the point where you could hit that stride. And I, I wonder, what would you attribute your ability to stay focused on each other and stay focused on your connection, despite all of that, again, that tumult? I just like this dork a lot. <laughs> like, <laughs> like there, there's obviously a lot of like factors that go into just my desire to kind of stick through it. Like, I mean, w- we could break down all the different ways that we complement each other, that we are willing to support each other, that we naturally work well with each other. But ultimately, I just... I love and adore this person. It's really helped me grow because I, you know, like I've learned to just understand that, Hey, you know, when you love and when you're willing to kind of just put the work in, you can generally make things work for the most part, you know, with the willingness to put the labor into it. And I mean, like with anything, with any, I mean, labor of love isn't a phrase because out of, for nothing. I mean, like that's, that's what this was literally, but it was worth it because we knew enough about each other to know that this was something that was achievable, that this was something that was attainable. It was a means of, Hey, like these are goals that we have set for ourselves. And once we get to this point, this is the kind of life that we're going to have to build with each other. So that was something that helped me trudge through any of the like bummer tumultuous periods. For me, I think like when I first start talking to him and then end up to have a relationship with him really changes like my view of what a relationship is, what love is. Like when, when you're young, you think of like love is like, Oh, as long as like we love each other, we can do anything. But like Clint is the first person that make me view that I want to put effort into it. And like, this is kind of like very realist to say, but like you can see, like you can put yourself like as an investment. I can see the relationship. Like I can see where it grows and, you know, even how we can thrive as an individual, I can picture it vividly in my head. And that's kind of motivates me to be patient, to, you know, be able to open for communication, to just, you know, make things work. Because I not only just love him as a person, but also I want to see him to grow as a person while, you know, me being right beside him. 
Leon in the couple's first video for Lustery, Sif's little black wand vibrator makes a cameo appearance. I'm a big fan of using toy. Yes. Yeah, because, uh, like, throughout, like, of me understanding about sex, like, uh, when you're young, toy doesn't really, like, a subject that people talk about. People mostly talk about, like, penetrative sex, and you're supposed to feel great about it. And throughout my relationship with, like, uh, other people, I just, I have a hard time, like, getting orgasm from just penetrative sex. There's a period of time in my head, I'm just like, something is wrong with me. Because the way that we talk about, like, sex is like, you know, toys is like, it's your personal time. But when you, like, with someone actually having sex, they're supposed to give you orgasm. And it's just not working. And then eventually I just experimental with toys with it and like kind of understand like realizing it. It's like, oh, I need other elements to bring into, you know, the bedroom in order for me to actually have orgasm. So I have a lot of toys and I'm really happy that like Clint is don't mind me just like, you know, sometimes having sex and just bust out the wand. It's like, hey, I need to use this too. I just like to me, like toys are they're fun tools. They're tools that like are there to make experiences more enjoyable. And I think we're finally getting to the point to where like sex toys aren't that novelty thing that you have to go into the dark store behind the curtain to kind of quietly peruse and keep in a nondescript box under your bed. And it's now something that is just part of the bedroom experience for a lot more people. I mean, hell, like the clothing and retail fashion website Essence, the, you know, we're a lot of people shop for designers, like they've got sex toys on there now. Designer luxury artisanal sex toys. So it's it's come a long way in terms of the the general kind of like view of sex toys. One thing that was really big for me is, you know, like growing up in a very conservative southern area as a cis man, it wasn't even necessarily the intimidation of the the replacement concept that a lot of men kind of like view in the intimidation. To me, it was just it was more like letting myself enjoy using sex toys myself. Um, because that was something early on that was like, the attention was really never uh, like on like, hey, mask bodies and men can also find enjoyment with using these toys with partners too. And it was always, you know, like, hey, your wife, your girlfriend, your femme body partner, this is at their benefit and their benefit exclusively, which is not the case. Like as a couple experimenting with what toys work for one of us, what toy works for both of us, how we can both mutually have fun with those things, one, gives us the opportunities to have more sex. And then two, it really kind of lets us find, hey, like this is something that we both mutually enjoy, that we can enhance both of our situations. That's Lustery Couple, Sif and Clint. If you're 18 or older and you like porn with lots of eye contact and head-to-toe body art, don't miss their video on lustery.com. If you're into the show, please leave us a five-star rating and a review. POV is brought to you by Lustery, and this episode was hosted by me, Aria Vega. It was edited and produced by Katherine Fisher and Adrian Teicher, and our showrunner is Paulita Papel. Lustery is the home of real-life partners filming their sex lives behind closed doors. Again, if you're 18 or older, you can find us at lustery.com, and we're on Twitter and Instagram at lusterypov. Speak soon, lovers.